We are I. Good afternoon. Two months later, we missed last month. Wow, I know. Went by so fast. Yeah, I was talking to somebody last night. Uh, well, one of my clients actually, and we were talking about how like this year's almost over. Like it's yeah. just, it's mind boggling to me that, and to think like we're almost at the two year mark of all this COVID stuff starting. Um, yeah. what, what prompted it was because we just got a report released. Um, that read like, you know, hopefully by the end of 2022, December 22, yeah. 2022, they can call it uh, or change the classification from a pandemic. And I was yeah. like, the end, I'm like, we're, we're not even in December, 2021. I'm like, that's still like a whole another 13 yeah. months, 14 months from now. And then I was just like, wait a minute. I'm like, this almost started like two years ago. It's just, then your mind starts reeling about time and you go into the rabbit hole, how fast time flies by. Yeah. So, I read an article of few months ago that said that they were anticipating it would take another two to three years to be endemic oh that's so crazy eh? yeah because you think like as long as this pandemic like they can still classify like all the or justify all of these um restrictions right like to me like that's where my mind goes you know like it's just it's tough because of the nature of how we're probably going to have to live five years of our lives yeah i know yeah one question I had for you is as I was sitting here before we got started, because it's raining outside here. Um, why do you think human beings are so drawn to movement? Because like, you know, like you, yeah, like, you know, like you see, you know, I've sat in a lot of meadows in my day or like, I'll just sit out kind of stargazing, but it's, you know, in the daytime, you just kind of like lucid dreaming and stuff. But like, they go always like catch people, you know, Things that move like a kite flying in the sky is very appealing. You know, like trees flowing in the wind is very appealing. You know, like uh, the movement of people, like people watchers. And then, you know, like, I don't know if I can actually really see the rain. Like if I'm up on the top floor, like what I am right now, and I look out, it's very easy to see the rain coming down and you can kind of get lost and just, to me, I'm always amazed. I'm like, I can see so many water droplets. Then I kind of get caught up into this, like staring at it. But then I realize. I myself, and I know a lot of people, and it's something you hear all the time, is like very drawn to like movement. Like why do you think it's just, you know, from like a, a food standpoint, like we see movement, so we have to chase that movement because it might be something to eat. And we're talking thousands of years ago, or do you think that there's some other, um, some other ideal behind it? I think that's probably part of it. I'm sure that there's a, like a physiological survival aspect to it. Um, and it's mesmerizing too, right? So, or hypnotizing, like even looking at fire. Mm-hmm. But like, so these are the things though, because it's like, so I thought the same thing as you, especially the fire analogy, because the color is the easy part. Like, I think we all know why we're drawn to color and it does have direct representation with food. Um, you know, but like with this, if we get mesmerized or hypnotized by this movement, especially something like fire, don't you think it's almost like counter intuitive to like if we were doing it for survival of any kind because it's almost relaxing like we don't want to engage with it um it, it, I just find movement to be very fascinating and I've never thought about it or have done any research to see if anybody's been doing any studies on like what visual movement means to our you know to us neurologically what it means to us in our physiology and like what what happens to us during that process? Because it can be very common. Like it's very relaxing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, well, I mean, we. Sorry, my cat's being demanding. Um, we are in movement in the womb, even you know, in the fluid. Maybe it goes back to that. Yeah, you know, it's just, and you know, like I know being they know being like held tight, or you know, like like cuddled or snuggled or somebody holding like a hug like that's where a lot of those positive physiological responses come from because we're used to being held so tightly in the womb I I did read a quite a bit on that at one point in time where it's like there's like direct correlation back to being 
um, in the womb. But it's just, I just find it so fascinating how we are so connected with what's going on around us, but yet so much of us don't participate in it. So I'm going to snowball something and then you can hop in wherever you want, like after I'm done on this little rant here. But I know we talk a lot about always being in nature, which is obviously like it's widely accepted that nature has so many healing benefits for us. Um, so like my, my concept behind this is how come in like traditional Chinese medicine or, or maybe I'm just not aware of it, that being outside exposed to the elements isn't as talked about as much, or there's not like the hormetic effect from being like outside in some of these stronger elements, even though that we know now there is a physiological response to being outside in some of these elements. And then I started thinking about, is there a disservice or a service that we're offering the biological world around us by us not participating in it um, after death? Because there, there's very much a big part of us that became a part of this earth. But now we've completely removed us from this earth because when the majority of people, you know, die in this world, especially Western countries, like you're put in a casket or you're embalmed, like there's no more pine boxes, there's no more dying outside, there's no more just being buried, you know, maybe in a shallow grave as just you, you know, like we ourselves in our energy seems like it's being lost in the reinfusion back into our world when we were very much a part of this world, this biological world for so long. So I, I don't know, like, am I another one of my crazy Blake theories going on in my mind here or what? How is that connected to the movement or is that not? Well, I just like, I started thinking about all these things is, you know, it's like, are we connected with like the movement of the world? Because, you know, there's a part of us that may have ended up being representations of this, because if, you know, we go back into the soil, the soil becomes the tree energy, as we know, is always just transferred in forms. It's never eliminated. So like, you know, I could have like, when you look out at like the trees and the surroundings around us and like all these different like weather systems or vegetation, we could be looking that we are looking at parts of things that used to be, because that's what helped nurture and grow these things now that are. So, you know, am I like captivated because you have some kind of ancestral connection with something that may have been in the past or just knowing that my energy also is going to be connected with the energies of these elements because there's a part of all biological life that helps grow these elements? Do you see where I'm going with that or am I still crazy I, talking about uh, it? I think the body knows that it's connected. You know, I think on some subtle level, we know without having to think about it. Um, to get back to the movement thing specifically, I think mm -hmm. part of the thing might be that we're actually wired to put ourselves into trance states. Mm -hmm. um, Why would we be hardwired for that? Maybe because maybe there's an aspect of divine of consciousness that naturally goes in that direction mm -hmm. so that we do recognize our connection to all that is. Um, and, and if you think about how people do that, they do it through dance, like ritual dance, mm -hmm. through drumming, that's movement, that's repetitive sound, things that are repetitive chanting um yeah yeah you know it because like this is one thing that we we do know that i i i've looked at this quite extensively too is that like music and song and dance have always been very rich in a lot of cultures it was a way of even like communicating celebrating you know like whatever you know it may be but it's always something that ended up no matter how long ago we go in the past there's always like representations of like song and dance kind of taking place to some rudimentary form you know where you could you know like argue like the trees falling in the wind is like the trees version of dancing like it doesn't have any other way of being able to to communicate that to you know other plant life other biological life around it but um like i do i do find these things to be very interesting again it's like all these kind of correlations that kind of come in to show us how interconnected we are with the world around us. Um, 
but again, it, it's like, you know, still putting that like big hand up. And this is kind of what brings me into more of what I wanted to start chatting about with you today was that, um, is there any new advancements in traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, or is it like the older, more traditional practices and principles? Like we will always just continue to teach those no matter what we might learn along the way. Um, interestingly, oh, one more thing I want to say about the movement and then yeah. I'll answer that question before I forget. So you said, why would we be wired for that? We're wired to heal. Like our bodies are wired to heal and perhaps our minds are wired to go into those places in our consciousness because we need to do that in order to thrive. Mm -hmm. So that it's not just about survival. Yeah. Because your survival is also diminished when you're stressed out and angry all the time or whatever it is. Yeah. Frustrated. Yeah. So anyway, so that was the thought I had about that. And then to answer your question, um, interestingly, Chinese medicine has kind of been a snowball effect where it's grown and amalgamated and incorporated, integrated, um, emerging theories and um, cultural uh, beliefs and um, learned you know, concepts or truths from other belief systems or other medical practices. That's part of what has made it thrive is because it has kind of been with the times that it's in. So it's not just what was originally documented. It's also what comes along as well down the road. So the great thing about Chinese medicine is that it doesn't forget its roots and it doesn't disregard its roots in order to take on a, something else. It, it sees the truth and the totality in healing and medicine as an art and integrates what is truth and what is healing along the way. So yeah, so that's, so that's, I think, one of the things that's made it survive. So is there, like, different um, types of practitioners, then? Is there, like, say, a new age, air quotes, Chinese, you know, traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, and then, like, maybe a, a hybrid between a more traditional system and a more new age system, and then there's, like, strictly traditional? Like, do you see those different types of practitioners, or is the industry so a lot more even keel? Oh, it's completely, it's completely varied, but it's not varied to the point of it being a problem. So there are classical Chinese practitioners. It's, they they um, are called classical Chinese medicine practitioners versus the TCM which is the traditional Chinese medicine practitioner. So those are two distinctions and you might say TCM, well, that's traditional Chinese medicine. That must be, you know, traditional and you know, the, I don't know, the most, Historical. the one that you would yeah. believe in the most or whatever, but really TCM is the standardized version of Chinese medicine mm -hmm. that was instituted, I don't know, maybe 50, 60 years ago or whatever. So um, traditional Chinese medicine is kind of looked at in the Chinese medicine community as the standardized version of the art and the version that doesn't necessarily lean into its Taoist roots, it more leans into its clinical roots or its clinical acquired knowledge and the standardized um, point prescriptions, the standardized um, channel pathways and all of that. Um, whereas classical Chinese medicine, it has a very heavy uh, grounding in the ancient teachings. And usually people that are in that classical Chinese medicine group 
are practicing herbology and they usually are associated with a teacher or a couple of teachers that can that can really trace back their lineage like a sensei might trace back their lineage in martial arts and um so that's the difference like tcm is like you go to school you memorize all this stuff you take your board exam you get licensed traditional chinese medicine boom but classical chinese medicine is more nuanced and it's uh, more deeply rooted in the philosophical underpinnings of Chinese medicine as a whole. Not to say that it is not a grounded method. In fact, in, in the world of Chinese medicine, it's very highly respected. Like anybody can go and do TCM, but it takes a, a special person that to re that's really, really connected to the medicine to want to go deeper in and and uh, learn it from the classical perspective. I don't know if I've ever seen a classical Chinese medicine practitioner. Like I've just, I've never seen it marketed, but you know, maybe this at the same time, it's not somebody who would be marketing their materials. Yeah, I, in my mind, I kind of picture it as more like, you know, Chinatown, you know, you know, just little shop, you know, probably not on Instagram, probably not on Facebook, you know, may not even have a website, you know, like somebody like in my mind, just, I know that's stereotypical, but you know, like, I just, I know I've never seen somebody advertise something. It's always TCM. It's like TCM. And maybe it's just because like that has become like this gold standard from like an insurance standpoint and education perspective. Um, that people are touting people that. expect to see too, you know, it might be easier for marketing, but if somebody's really heavily rooted in classical Chinese medicine, it'll say so on their website. It okay. will say so in their marketing because they're very proud of that because that's, it's kind of sort of a, the upper echelons of, of, of the medicine. It's um, a lot of teachers are would say they're more classical Chinese medicine teachers. What's the what's the percentage like if from what you've seen is it like you know 10 to 1 100 to 1 you know like what's what's kind of the ratio of people who would be TCM versus I guess CCM? Well I think most people would be TCM because that's what's being taught mm -hmm. in China and in the West. Okay. So would CCM be more like kind of like if we're using a martial arts analogy, like when you've kind of got your black belt or like degrees of black, like you've kind of gone through maybe TCM and you've kind of got to this like higher level of understanding of the practices. You get exposed to classical Chinese medicine for sure when you go through your TCM training, but you know, the school is responsible. They're all accredited institutions, just like, any other university like Harvard or Yale or a state school or whatever, they all go, they're all accredited. So, um, or, or most of them are anyway, you, you probably would have a hard time getting licensed in the United States, at least if you didn't go to an accredited school for Chinese medicine or acupuncture. But, um, you know, they're trying to get you through the program so that you pass the boards. So like the school that I went to is very strong in classical Chinese medicine. So the people that founded it are into classical Chinese medicine, practicing it. Their, um, their teachers are mostly classically trained. The people that they bring in to do special workshops are classically trained Chinese medicine practitioners. And these are people that have lived in China for an extended length of time and studied with a teacher there and they know the language and they translated the texts themselves so they could understand it. Because the translation that you're gonna get of the Huang Di Jing with a commentary in English, if you don't know any Chinese, is going to be very limited versus if you have a teacher and you know Chinese and you read that, you see like, it's like a flower that blooms in each verse with different nuanced uh, instructions hidden in it. 
Whereas here you're going to get somebody's just like any translation you read, like you can grab like 10 yoga sutra books and you'll get 10 different interpretations. It's the same thing. You're getting one interpretation in that text. So like with, with classical Chinese medicine, people are learning those ancient texts in a very deep way. And they're getting the, the like cultural nuances and the nuances from that time, um, you know, when words were used a certain way, maybe 800 years ago, and they're used a completely different way now, right? So some modern translator might not even be translating the text correctly. So, and um, so, so yeah, so like the schools are, are designed to get you through the program successfully and get you licensed. Well, get you prepared for the board exam. Yeah. So like I went through my whole training and then it turned out like there was this book here. You have to study this to pass the boards. I'm like what? <laughs> I bought the book like before I started school. I didn't open it once yeah. <laughs> until I had to take my board exam. And then that's what I studied mostly to pass my boards. It's so actually it's funny. Yeah, it is funny. It's like when I got my mortgage brokers, uh, well, when I went through my mortgage brokers course, I mean, it's essentially the same thing, but the opposite. I was handed this massive book that basically is like, okay, then when you are done this and the tutorials, just come in and write your test and hope for the best. And it's, and it's like, well, there's no classroom time. You know, like, and I like to bounce ideas off people. Like, that's how I learn the best is like talking through things. So then, like there, a friend of mine was also doing it. So then him and I were like, okay, well, we'll just do this together. We can bounce these ideas off together. But then you have the blind leading the blind because nobody has any idea what they're doing, right? Yeah. So it's like, those are the things that I look at now is, you know, really how all these places, they don't necessarily, especially from an education perspective, don't necessarily set students for success. And I know now, like for me, for an example, is like, I the book can have all the best information, but like just sitting down and having conversation, I will comprehend, learn, understand, appreciate the materials a thousand times more when I can participate in a conversation. You know, like listening to a lecture is a little bit better, but then my mind reels is somebody's talking. So then I end up like forgetting half of what they said and have to watch it 15 times. And then if I'm reading a book, it's like the, the same. I don't have the connection with it. So I find my disinterest level goes up. So I, it's funny because like I was exactly the opposite of uh, how you went through that experience and stuff like that. So yeah, school can be interesting sometimes. Like where you said, it's, it's only trying to prepare you to do your board exam, but it's actually maybe not necessarily like, teaching you a whole bunch or you know like the, it could teach you so much more but that's almost not necessarily the whole point of going through the education yeah. and they just don't have the time to tell. i mean learning chinese medicine takes your entire life because you have to like absorb it and digest it and understand it from the inside of your body out in order to truly relate to another person who's experiencing whatever the imbalances that they're experiencing so that you can understand it both, you know, conceptually so that you can diagnose them properly and treat them properly. And also like from a, from a, an, an embodied point of view, so you can even like just get it to begin with, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I went to that school because like even with the herb programs at most TCM schools, some people don't even get into the herb pharmacy till their last year. We're in the, we were in the herb pharmacy in the first two weeks, touching the herbs, learning what they were, smelling them. Um, you know, it's just a totally different thing. Yeah, see, and like, that's like for me too, like I, I'm very much like a hands-on learner like that as well. Where like, and I also think that this is, I know it's kind of like a little bit of rebel, but I feel like a, a big part of what we missed out on today is not doing enough with our hands. Like, I feel like we developed like a really great connection with the things that we're doing, learning, teaching people around us, environments around us, when we have the ability to be able to feel it with our hands. Like we've had that actual hands-on connection with it. 
Um, I don't know if you agree if there's, you know, like any like teachings in, you know, like these, um, these different modalities with that, but it's like, I feel that like, I, I know when, yeah. when I can touch I mean, the texture and. Yeah, it's like the difference between, you know, just knowing a point prescription for a particular pattern in your head and actually palpating the person's channel and feeling what's going on from that perspective it's totally different or from an energetic perspective you know um from a like an osteopathic perspective like there are different sort of ways that you can read and feel and perceive and gain information like with touch that you don't get just by thinking about it um and you know, even with Ayurvedic medicine, a lot of times, a lot of schools now, they're not even teaching pulse diagnosis. Oh, why is that? Because they're becoming more clinical. Oh. Just like TCM, it'll be uh, TA. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? TAM. Yeah. Um, eventually, if it keeps going in, on that, down that road, yeah. Do you, do you think that's good or do you think it's better? Do you think it, it's a, the start of an inevitable loss of the roots of these um, modalities and these, you know, um, these thought processes? Because like you would think that it's slowly going to get a little bit more watered down, especially if the versions of the more classical routes of these medicines is harder or more in depth or takes a long time to understand. It's the same with anything. It's the same with martial arts. It's the same with yoga. When things are hard and, you know, people want to spread them, they standardize them and make them easier. And then there's, there's a lot lost there because part of the practice, part of weeding out the people that are that truly have a passion for the medicine or for the art is you know be is being able to to really sit with the hard stuff whether it's pulse diagnosis or meditation practice or you know the kata you hate the most whatever i don't know but it's just it seems like that's kind of what we're naturally inclined to do and that's why historically great teachers didn't just put up a billboard in town. They waited till people came to them and then they weeded them out. And, um, you know, now you have these, you know, billionaire yogis or whatever, whereas like that traditionally would have been a red flag. Mm -hmm. So what do you think it does to us psychologically by not investing a lifetime into perfecting a skill or not investing the struggle. I think part of it is that it makes us not, I, you know, I think part of it is that if we, if it's too easy, it makes us not really value it or, and, and not actually believe in its teachings and its possibilities. Mm -hmm. as strongly as we would if we actually were to stick with the hard work of it and to experience it for ourselves. It makes it, um, it waters it down for us. So that when we come to, like with yoga, when we come to a place in our lives where, you know, how many, you know, million, there's probably a million yoga practitioners around the world easily, but how many of those people really when we come to a tough scenario in our lives can go to our practice and use it as a tool to reconnect with what is truly important or what is real to us or what is truth or whatever you want to call it, you know, how many of us actually do that? Um, and so I think it devalues the practices to not um, really be in the difficulty of them at 
times. Because, you know, you even think like what the, when you use the analogy of, you know, like martial arts, like there's very few academies that would even encourage that it might take you a decade to get a black belt or, okay. you know, or like, or two decades, you know, or, or it's just like, if you come to this dojo as a teenager, by the time that you are 50, 60, like, you know, then we're going to start talking about your black belt. Like we would never go for that these days, you know, like, and like, these are all the roots of everything. And I, my mind always goes back to like, are we ever really going to understand anything anymore? Because we just are willing to invest the time. And, you know, you can have like a, a, a new kind of perspective. I didn't say like everything to do with COVID rush, 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 get it in vaccines, this protocols in like, like so much of it's been fumbled along the way because we just, we're so impatient. There's so many areas of our life that are just like very impatient that we just don't want to sit with the sands of time to be able to accumulate a thorough understanding. Because before we were on this one, I was looking outside at the rain and I'm like, what are we going to offer? Like, what, what are we actually going to do outside of technology? You know, like we're, you know, like this battery is smaller, this car is faster, this plane is bigger, you know, like all this kind of stuff. But like, when I look at them, like, what about the biological world? Are we going to pass on where in a hundred years from now or 200 years from now, we may look at it like, oh, these people from 2000 and 2000 to 2100, you know, really like they nailed this certain thing about like the world around us, you know, where, you know, cause everything it seems like we're doing now is just giving more accreditation to things that already had credibility in the past, but we just didn't want to give them credibility over a certain course of time. And like psychedelics is a huge component of this right now. You know, you see it everywhere. It's, you know, like everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. Psychedelics are like the best thing, you know, like better than breathing, better than water, better than food. And it's like, <laughs> but people have been using psychedelics for thousands of years. Right. Like, like that's not new. We did, we're not giving a contribution here. Run around willy nilly taking them with their friends or, you know, some person that's been to Peru once and thinks they know everything. They, there's a whole process behind it. Again, it's the time, it's the respect, mm -hmm. it's the patience. It's just lacking. It's just plain old. And, and that's part of what's been so hard with the whole COVID thing. It's because we had to sit with the sands of time when we were in lockdown, right? And then, and then to think about the end of 2022 or even, you know, 2023, like that just seems like, but you know, historically they would have just, they would have accepted that these things may take five or, you know, eight years or whatever, you know, or four years or whatever it is. It just would have been like accepted, you know, more than it is now. I mean, of course it would still be frustrating and scary intense and stressful and all that, but it would, it like the whole thing with this has been people have said pretty much all along, I just want to get back to normal. I just want to get back to normal. It's been this like pulling toward the past and it hasn't been about being in the present. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's about like instant gratification too. Like we said, hurry up and well, part of the reason with the vaccines is because they wanted to kind of outrun any mutations. But um, aside from that, yeah, it's like, how can we quickly do, you know, there's, there's a lot to it with that situation, but yeah. And I guess we're fished with that too. Like I know our government up here is just like, take this, get back to this, take this and you can have this, take this in your old life. You know, like, like that's, that's the actual communication that we get up here too. Or it's like, so people are being trained to be able to think that way. But you said something a minute ago that I want to touch on that. Do you think that people and when I say people, like us as a species, you know, maybe we can uh, make this in a little bit more of the Western world. Do you think that we actually have respect for life itself? I think that if we did, we wouldn't be in the situation that we are. 
Because like, that's ultimately like, I feel like the biggest thing that we propel forward is like this disrespect for life. And then you see, I, I see avenues where people are trying to connect that back in more where it's like, you know, get, be grounded, you know, meditation, connect back with yourself. And, but, but I, I don't feel like the vast majority of people like actually marketing these messages even really understand like what that means, but it's just an avenue to be able to make money. Because, you know, like if we actually respected life itself, like what you just alluded to is like, we had an opportunity to say like, like not only like, Hey, like what was I doing before? Was it actually like, you know, good for me, but it's like a time to be able to sit and like, look around. It's like, like, what are we actually doing here right now? You know, like, let's, let's ask this question. Let's like, let's see if I can, as an individual, fundamentally ask myself and answer the question, honestly, what am I actually doing right now? Like, what does my life in this space represent? And I don't, I think it'd be very challenging for a lot of people to like answer that question of like, what life actually means to them. And if we don't have a, a root understanding what life may actually mean, like, what are we respecting in that? Because it just seems like our opinion is so transient that we are just kind of like latch on to anything that we may be told is of value. I feel like that's why like people sway in the wind so much of having like concrete morals and ethics, because it's like, what do you actually believe in? Like, what do you actually stand for? And like, what, what respect do you have for this environment that includes us all in everything that we're doing? And um, this also brings me back to something that I was thinking before too, is we've never really touched on what the psychology, like the psychology side of, you know, like traditional Chinese medicine or classic Chinese medicine, or like, what, it, like, what do we do to be able to nurture people through psychological events? Or is it everything that CCM or TCM offers as a whole, that's a part of a psychological experience? Well, the psychological is directly uh, related to the consciousness and the, and the spirits, mm -hmm. the five consciousnesses or the five aspects of mind. And so that's, that's definitely addressed. Okay. In, so, in both yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like just having like balance and harmony, like, and I, so I guess I could get like a, a better analogy. So like, say like we have now, like you go see a therapist or a counselor you know, and like that's like our kind of fix for psychological issues or something. Like, is there an equivalent to that, that as you're working on balancing out your energy, you know, balancing out, say your chakras or anything along these lines that would you see somebody for like that guidance or would that be, you know, talking to a spiritual elder um, to be able to gain some perspective, maybe some life perspective and to be able to help with like the mental it's health side? Yeah, it's all of it. Um, you know, there's some aspects of the medicine that actually you the person would be like sent to a, somebody who did an exorcism, for mm -hmm. example. Like there's a recognition that that type of pathology exists. And there are methods to treat it that are unconventional in terms of say Western science. Um, but the body and the mind are not separate entities in Eastern medicine. So when we're discussing the physiology of the body, we're, we're also discussing the, the state of mental peace or aggravation the person's going to be experiencing and where on the emotional spectrum it falls and how you know present they can be or how shrouded their their clarity is Th those are all just as important diagnostically as the physical signs and symptoms themselves so when we're looking at if somebody um you know comes to see you for example and says you know like i'm just i'm feeling very depressed these days and my anxiety is high like we would go to like the uh, micro gut biome and like we'd say, okay, well, you know, do we have a disruption there? You know, we start to look like within inside the body it, itself instead of being like, well, maybe you need to talk through something. Well, maybe you don't need to talk through anything at all. 
It's just what's going on in the micro gut biome that's making you feel depressed and anxious. And I think is that we don't have a framework that we're raised with in our societies, our culture, our families that allows for making space for the unknown to make itself known to us. Mm-hmm. And so we may have but there isn't really this personal like I don't think that we're raised to have this personal connection to the divine and to understand what that means to us or raised to to understand the importance of giving ourselves the space to allow insight to emerge so you that may not be such an issue because you spend so much time in nature and you constantly are having insights emerge but i i the the last client i had before we started today is someone who's just been go 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 and you know does yoga meditate sometimes goes to life coach does this does that but it again is not like I've been really doing it because the value of it hasn't been there. It's kind of been an instrument here and there when the person is, you know, kind of at their wits end with something. So maybe for a couple of weeks, they'll go for a treatment or they'll go to yoga class and then they'll stop because, you know, the, the old way or back to normal is more important. And then, and then this person was hit with, something that laid down and for the first time i think maybe in her adult life maybe period for the first time in a very long time at the very least being on the table has allowed her to give herself permission to allow for the space for insight to emerge, for her subconscious to send her images, for her to integrate stuff that's been stirring underneath the surface for decades. And I see this a lot. It ha- and even, you know, most acupuncturists, if they're giving, you know, full treatments to people in a, if they're not, you know, maybe in a community acupuncture scenario, but if they're if they're allowing the person to have a sacred space where they're encouraged to not do and let the body do what it needs to with the stimulation from the needles, they will be able to access a place within themselves that they don't normally go to. They don't normally even know how to get to. And some of them are just completely blown away by it because they've never had an experience like that before in their lives. So, you know, this, I think that is, is something that maybe we can, maybe that is something that we can leave for future generations is if we figure out how to prioritize that so that on a personal level, we are perfecting the art of creating sacred space for ourselves to allow insight to emerge. You know, and I think like a big part of that too is changing the narrative of what we should value, right? Because like, you know, how, right. how do we give ourselves that space when the narrative that we're all buying into is this great American dream, you know? And like, the American dream, you know, went from like people working 18 hours a day, union presence comes in and it's like an eight hour day, maybe with an hour of overtime and you have these coffee breaks and lunch breaks and these weekends and job security. And it's like, now we're right back to like where, you know, like we were before, because like we're chasing this thing that 
it doesn't allow space for that because it doesn't allow us to value anything outside of making best use for our time for you know potential financial gain to be able to get ahead in life because we don't really understand what getting ahead in life means typically until it's proverbially too late you know what i mean so it's like you know it's it's like coaching that younger generation to being understand like there's there's so much life outside of accumulating things there's so much outside of accumulating status in life bigger houses more cars more this more that where you know we will allow the space for you know like intellectual innovation you know like emotional innovation conceptual innovation when we have the actual time to do that because like you said like the person that you were just with she just happened to have had some time and that's what allowed her this gift of this epiphany which like you said for me it happens so regularly because I love to spend time alone. I love to spend time alone outside. I love to just be immersed in this nature because I love to think. Like I love to be challenged with my own ideas and like what my mind can create. But I also know that a lot of people actually fear living in that space because they have to ask and potentially answer some really hard questions about how they may be living their life, which is scary for most people. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Um, I know I just I don't want to get like too much more to something else because I have to go. I like I said at the beginning, like this is just gonna be, like, the shortest podcast ever. And um, in my oh, mind right scary. now, I don't know why. It's just like what we are talking about right now is like it seems like my mind, and I don't know whether it's a season, you know, like what's happening outside with the change of seasons, all this kind of stuff. But it just seems like my mind is really active in like asking answers about like why don't we investigate more? Like, it just seems like we are so willing to just accept this massive disconnection with something that we know is so beneficial, you know, and even like right down to the fact of just like, just being outside. You know, we've talked about this many times, like people just have such a hard time with even just spending time outside. And it's just, is mind-boggling to me because I have such connection with being outside and I know the wonders it does for me. And I take friends and family and clients and into these environments. And it's like, we are so smart, but we can't figure out that there's something so simple right in front of us. It's perplexing yeah. to me. So my mind is there in that headspace right now where the hamster wheel is spinning pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what is that sticking point that keeps us in complacency? I, to me, like, again, it's like chasing that American dream. If, if the American dream was like, have a modest home, you know, like share a car with your spouse, um, you know, like give back to your community, you know, like go outside and, you know, like enjoy your day you know, work six hours a day, five days a week, or an eight hour day, four days a week, you know, like value your time outside of work, you know, like don't answer an email or a text or a phone call about work unless you're at work. Like, I think like, that's the thing that keeps us from, and like, that's how that cycle ultimately breaks us. Like you said, like giving people permission to be able to value their time outside of us devaluing our own existence because we've created our own existence for the most part. It's just like, it's, you know, like this hyper accelerated work environment. Like that's what we've made our existence in this world. It's just like, what can we do more professionally? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Food for thought, food for thought, save it for 30 days and then we'll get more into <laughs> it. And we have an abundance of time. <laughs> okay. And I Sounds apologize good. for being in such a, such a rush day. It's one of those things where it's, uh, and then I never even got to the story what made it me so backed up, but um, maybe I'll send you an email oh, and kind of explain it to you so you're not hanging okay. on why I was sleeping two or three hours a night. Well, not even really a night, because like I said, they were kind of two days and a little bit and stuff like that, just so they don't leave you hanging for another month. <laughs> yeah, I do. I definitely want to hear that story. Yeah, I'll give you just a, a quick overview. I'll, get, I'll send an email with a little bit more context. Um, we're opening up a retreat center. So that's in the forest. So like it has um, wow. like red light, red light therapy, Himalayan salt room, cold bath, hot tub, sauna, um, um, like a, 
1100 square foot geodesic dome for yoga. It's like right in the forest. There's little cabins and all that kind of stuff. One of the principal investors in the project um, is also a farmer and um, he got short staffed for harvest and needed some, uh, needed some help. So um, I said, I'd be more oh, willing to, yeah. So I didn't realize the extent of hours I would be working when, uh, when I agreed to help, but it was uh, one of those things, you know, like I'm a farmer, I grew up on a farm. So like, I know what it was, what it's like. So like, I probably created more hours for myself, but I also know that it needs to get done. And harvesting yeah. is a, is a priority. Like it's not, if it lasts another week, it can be extremely detrimental. So my mind knows that. So to me, it's like, this is a 24 hour day thing. This has to get done. And to me, it, it's not like a, you know, an eight hours and like, Oh, the crop will survive another day. Because as soon as we stopped, it got to where the crops were, um, it got a cold spell and got down to minus eight, which would have killed everything. So again, like you see wow. that then formulate like two days after we finish, then the weather changes and, and that's it. So it's like, and I know that just from growing up on a farm. So like, that's, that's how the whole scenario kind of happened and stuff. So yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to hear more about this retreat center. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll save it. Then maybe I won't email you and it'll give us a great conversation because it's going to be a super awesome because when <laughs> all got yeah so because it'd be like one of those things in my mind like once it's done and once a lot of this stuff kind of balances out with COVID and stuff like my intent was to be able to bring you up and to be able to host some some seminars up at the retreat center so um keep that in your in your mind and stuff too so yeah oh yes okay. I will definitely awesome thank you sounds awesome, awesome. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll chat in 30 days. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Have a good day. All right. You too. Talk soon. Bye.